cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we got a very, very special guest, Dr. Matthew Moore. Matt, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, today, we're going to do a little different style than we normally do. I think we're going to just hit a variety of different topics. And the the one I was excited to get your opinion about was the off-duty pilot who was accused of potentially taking down a plane, I think for Alaska Airlines, or attempting to, let me clarify that. And he said he had taken magic mushrooms 48 hours earlier, which influenced him, altered his perspective. And Matt, just wanted to get your take on, A, when you saw the headline, B, what you thought of that statement. The first thing I would say is that these drugs are not something that should be trifled with. I don't think that it is appropriate that a pilot take any psychedelics that close to proximity before doing his job or, you know, a bus driver or he wasn't, he wasn't flying. He was off duty. So he was just a passenger on the plane. I'll broadly accept, expand that to be, you shouldn't be allowed in the cabin of a plane <laughs> or the, uh, in the, you know, in, in the cockpit where you can um, do things like that. 48 hours after a magic mushroom trip is kind of, um, there are drugs that will last that long. And there's probably an amount of psilocybin that would get you there 48 hours later. But I, I find that I struggled to believe that 48 hours, unless he's a really specific anomaly. And I also am of the opinion that, again, that these aren't these aren't toys. They're used recreationally. But, you know, like people use explosives recreationally. Right. Like that's what fireworks shows are. And every year we have in any number of hundreds to thousands of people losing their hands and, and, and fingers to something that they use recreationally. So I don't think that just because it's recreation that it's safe, right? Mountain climbing is is recreation. Paragliding's recreation. I think he was a passenger on the plane, and I think he had taken the drugs for I can't remember the exact things, maybe depression, mental health. I'm not sure exactly what the origin was, but I think when he was on the plane, he just decided he wasn't having a good time and he was freaking out and um, he thought he thought he was saving everyone, right? Like he, did he, think said, he, was saving he thought he was saving everyone, and he thought that he went to like he broke in to turn the engines off, but he thought that someone else was trying to crash the plane and they were in to get him. So it was clearly like a mental breakdown. And I mean, there are cases of like heavy psychedelics, even cannabis, right, that can force people with a history or a family history of like schizophrenia or something like that to have those conditions like become more prevalent through active use. So maybe it could have been something like that is that taking the psilocybin then triggered, triggered his schizophrenia or whatever it could be. Cause that's like, what he was saying is that like he was saving everyone on the plane when really he was just trying to turn the engines off. That's a really important conversation to have, right? Is the effects that these can have on people who aren't like a baseline typical average person. Right. And that's a really important conversation. But we're talking about a so statistically irrelevant number right now. We're talking about one guy. Yeah, that's such a good And we're trying to derive the reasons that one person may end up making horrible decisions. And I don't think that that's fair to the drugs. And I think it comes back to, was it to grab headlines? And I think it wasn't. It was to have a conversation about it. And it's an important conversation to have. What do these drugs do to people who have a history of, of psychoses or 
a family history of, you know, mental health issues. And, and we've already seen with cannabis that people who do have a predisposition for schizophrenia and multiple personality disorder, they do tend to gravitate towards smoking cannabis or consuming cannabis. Does that mean that cannabis causes people to have psychoses or is there some other, you know, concomitant factor that makes you then desire this thing? And so I think that whenever we have, right, like these conversations like this one, I think it's really important to remember the context of the conversation, which is how many thousands of people took mushrooms and didn't try to crash a plane, didn't try to hurt themselves, didn't try to hurt anyone else and successfully, you know, helped their own mental health issues or whatever their intended outcome was. Even if it was just to have a good time, how many people have taken it recreationally and not done anything bad, nothing bad has happened. So I want to give you a ton of credit and slightly switch gears is that about a year and a half ago, you informed Kellen and I that you believed that cannabis wouldn't be descheduled, but it would be rescheduled towards Schedule 3. And while we've seen some people go back and forth on whether or not they agree with if it should be or not, definitely want to give you your props for making that statement. And then I want to read you a quote that I read today about rescheduling down and see what you think about that. Rescheduling rather than descheduling has led to some voices in the cannabis industry claiming that the process is a Trojan horse meant to gift marijuana to big pharmaceutical interests. I tend to still disagree because of, again, you come back to the polypharmacy trying to get something through the clinic. I think that's going to be very hard. I think doing a, going to schedule three and doing naturally derived THC, like, so just extract, I think that that'll become the most cost-efficient way to make medical THC at that point. There's a lot of factors that play into that, but I don't think it's a gift. I think it's a really expensive uh, endeavor to try to get FDA approval and insurance reimbursement. Your best bet for an approval that way is going to be from Congress setting something up like the Veterans Research Bill that has to do with with smoking flour and kind of sidestep the FDA clinical pathway because a lot of their requirements are not as simple as, well, it's what the FDA likes. It's what Congress has told the FDA has to like, right? And so whenever Congress tells an agency they have to do a thing, there's nothing they can do other than what the agency or what the, what Congress has said. And one of those comes back to pure chemicals. And, and it's a lot easier to get a pure compound approved for that reason. I think Schedule 3 will allow some companies who are really aggressive and not as conservative on their cash flow to try to set up institutions inside legal states. Inside, so like someone, a large, a large pharmaceutical company may set up a California medical cannabis company, right? And then they would be servicing just that one state. And perhaps if they're really, really clever how they do it, they can get enough data to justify going into an, a full clinical trial. But ideally, right, by that time, it's just completely descheduled. But in the interim, I don't, I'm hoping that it will, even if it does go to schedule three, it's not schedule three long enough for it to make any difference for any real pharmaceutical company. Because, right, you're still talking years in clinical trials to get approval. So two years ago, you brought up Delta 8 and it became sweeping across the United States. Then last year, Delta 10, not as popular as D8, but definitely made some headwinds. Any cannabinoids, any compounds, what's what's on the radar that nobody's hearing about, nobody's thinking about that you're like, this is one where I think year from now, people are going to be quite interested. So there's different 
there's different approaches, right? Like a drug can be interesting for a variety of reasons and, and legality being the key one for most of these things, right? So I'm just going to go ahead and ignore D9 and D8 because those are the two main candidates for argument, right? If you were to look at something like the Bifferol, right? So the C7 tell for THC, it is significantly more potent, which is not necessarily a good thing for the things that we talked about. You don't want to like just blast yourself off into space unexpectedly. But if you're talking about trying to get like functional beverages and things like that, right? If I need to get 15 milligrams of THC into 10 ounces of water, it's going to be easier for me to get one milligram of THCP into that same 10 ounces, depending on what emulsifiers I'm using. And if I can get the same effect from, you know, one fifteenth the amount of material in there, then one, it's cheaper as roughly, you know, right now, most of the C7 is coming from synthetic anyways. And so synthetically, they're all roughly the same cost. But if I can be, if I can put one fifteenth, you know, that's, there's a real benefit to, to me, not really the consumer, the consumer doesn't notice any difference, right? But at, at me as an individual, I'm having to spend a lot less on each individual package. And so I think that potency is not the end game, but I think potency should be the end game for some people because, right, like, and, you know, does THC or, or any of its analogs have a flavor? I, I think it depends on the source and how purified it is. Uh, but if you can put less of a bitter terpene type smell, that type of stuff. And so I think, you know, for a manufacturer, potency is going to be the end game and going, going after are going to be looking for, right, like, I don't think consumers look for a molecule, right? They look for an effect. And once you get saturated enough, there are always going to be your little like psychonaut buddies that want like the new thing, the the unheard of, the the novel thing. But most people are going to find their, you know, their eggs and bacon and be like, this is my breakfast forever now. So Matt, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to learn more and they want to fund your experiment. Where, where can they find you? Uh, so you can reach me by email at Matthew at morescientific.com. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm associated with the dime. So go there and, and look, look me up there. Looking forward to seeing you next year. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully the state of play will be a little friendlier at that time. Yeah, hopefully. Thanks for taking the time, Matt. This was fun. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.